You're listening to episode 149 of the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden. And today I'm chatting with Sally and Nathan Clarkson about loving your different child. God didn't give me a child so that I could tell him my expectations of exactly what my children would be. You have to say, God, show me how to love the child that you gave me and how to release them within their limitations and personality into their world as a healthy human being. You always pushed us um, to the best we could be fully aware of the limitations we had. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's attention. God never asks us to be something we can't. He just asks us to take what we have, the two loaves, the fishes, and uh, he will do the rest, but to be the best we can with what we have. Sally is back on the show. You all remember her from episode 54. She talked about owning your life. And 107, she helped us with creating a life-giving home. Well, now she's back on with her adult son, Nathan Clarkson. And they've just recently written a book called Different. And it's a conversation about loving that outside-the-box child. Sally and Nathan share vulnerably about their journey. Sally discovering that Nathan uh, had... ADHD, OCD, anxiety, and how to love him in the midst of all that. And not only love him, but help him become an adult, recognizing his greatness within those limitations, just like they just talked about. I also love how Sally frames up holding on to your ideals while letting go of your expectations. That was super helpful to me when I'm sometimes holding on to my expectations and letting go of my ideals. Uh, I know y'all are going to enjoy this conversation, whether you have a child who has a diagnosis or don't. I feel like each of my children are different in some way, and I've had to come to grips with where they don't fit in the box and love them in spite of it. I've had to love our family as a whole and help us do things that I think are important, even if it doesn't look like I sometimes think it should. I also wanted to remind you all about the Podcast Club. You've been so great. So many of you, 500 different leaders have signed up to host podcast clubs across the world. If you want information, go to godcentermom.com backslash podcast club. It's totally free. Uh, you get emails, and I will send you a link with a password to get PDFs of the content. There's three different sets of curriculum available. Uh, each set is six weeks worth of episodes and discussion questions. And you pick the place, you pick the people, you pick how often you meet, uh, and I, I just provide the content. There's uh, even a set for couples. If you're in a small group, co-ed small group, we kind of curated some episodes that were related to parenting and marriage. So go to godcentermom.com backslash podcast club for more info. All right, let's get to my conversation with Sally and Nathan. Here we go. Hey, Sally and Nathan, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Hi. Hi. We're so excited to be with you, Heather. This is going to be fun. And I love when I interview two people, especially when one is a woman and one is a man. So we'll know. (laughs) (laughs) There's no guessing. There's no guessing. We have Sally and her son, Nathan. Uh, Y'all know Sally. She's been on the show several times helping us have mom hearts and just seeing the mission in our motherhood. And this message that we're talking about today... Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. I, it's just so needed. I talk to moms mm. that are overwhelmed by kids that are different, overwhelmed by one, just what to do. How, where do I go? What schools do I pick? But then also just the weight of why did I get the child that's different? 
why yeah <laughs> why god in dealing with the emotions of that and then mm-hmm. how do i be a good mom when i this doesn't match what i'm reading in the books or what right. you know it worked for my other kids it's it's Absolutely. stretching it's stretching them so thank you all yeah. for bringing your story to the spotlight well it's really been cathartic i think for me and for nathan and um I realized that everything you just said is everything I felt. Mm. Uh, why me? Nobody understands. What am I supposed to do? This doesn't fit the the magic bullet. And um, and never did and never was supposed to. But I had to learn all of those things through my journey with Nathan. And when, Sally, did you realize that Nathan was different, was truly different? A lot of people ask that. I think it's more of a, as I look back, I can say, well, of course he's different. But I remember even, uh, and we write about this in the book, but when he came home from the hospital, he had two days where he slept and was really amazing. And then he didn't sleep again for four and a half years. And, and uh, yeah, comfort, he wouldn't nurse, he wouldn't quiet. Uh, he could never, ever sleep. And he screamed. It wasn't just a wow, wow, wow. It was a you know, the kind that um, you, you think, what's wrong? And um, yeah. of course, he had some great, sweet moments, and he was uh, just really wonderful. But I look back even on, as a baby, I began realizing that there were things that were different. And, and, and Nathan um, isn't the first child, y'all. Why don't you quickly just say all your kids in case someone hasn't had the pleasure of listening to your other episodes. <laughs> You're so sweet. Well, I have uh, four children. It's Sarah, 32, and studying in Oxford. Joel, uh, 30, a composer uh, of music. And uh, Nathan is my third, uh, second boy. And he's a film producer, actor, writer. And uh, then Joy is uh, in uh, St. Andrews getting her master's. So So I think that that mom listening who maybe her – her child that is seeming different than her friend's kid is her first. And so she mm-hmm. has the idea, I must be doing something wrong. They just keep screaming because I'm a bad mom. Or yeah. she has the other kids and she's comparing and saying, what's wrong with you? And not really enjoying their child. So, right, right. So uh, how would you, what would you say to those women in those situations? Well, I think uh, two different situations, but yeah. uh, I think that, you always, let's say it was her first child. I think that I feel like I learned a whole different way of parenting just in general. And that is that, um, you look at each child and their heart, their needs, what comforts them. Every single baby is different, even in how they comfort, even in how they eat. And I think rather than go by the rules, because nobody's rules ever fit my unique, different children, uh, uniquely different children. Um, I think I would just start noticing when they calm, what they do, do they need more touch? Do they, because each one of my children was different. I would also say that I would look to different people who are mature and who know my family and know my children. Sometimes children are just totally out of control at the very beginning because they have a digestive problem, which Now I look back and wonder if Nathan did, or they may be crying totally because of something internal, not something external. Mm. But I think that uh, you have to begin to say, God didn't give me a child so that I could tell him my expectations of exactly what my children would be. Mm. You have to say, God, show me 
how to love the child that you gave me and how to release them within their limitations and personality into their world as a healthy human being. Mm, that's really good. So it's a, it's a shift in your expectations and saying, God, what are your expectations for how you want me to be a mom to this particular child? That's really good. That's really good. And Nathan, hi. Um, hello. Hello. How old were you when you first realized that something was different, that you were different than maybe your siblings or your peers? Yeah. Um, man, it's kind of been all my life. It's something that I continue to realize. Mm-hmm. Um, it would, you know, you'd feel normal for a while and all of a sudden you'd find yourself in these situations mm-hmm. in which you'd be being yelled at by a teacher and you're going, why am I the one being yelled at? All I was doing is asking questions. That's or really you'd be yeah. getting in trouble more and more and more. And you're looking at your siblings and go, why don't they get in trouble like I do or as much as I do? Um, and, or you'd be asking questions and saying, why don't, why doesn't everybody have all these questions like me? Why doesn't everybody want to know these things and feel the need to verbalize them? Mm -hmm. So it's something that it was, uh, it wasn't one moment. It was a, um, operate differently. I relate to the world differently. I have a different perspective than the people around me. Um, so it's something that I still, uh, to this day at 27 years old, walk around and eventually go, oh my goodness, I'm different. I see the world differently, uh, than other people. So it's a kind of a journey. Um, and it's a continual realization that I was built differently than, um, perhaps the quote unquote norm. And I think it helped me too, to have, uh, I'm just going to jump in here with that whole idea to have two children before Nathan, because I can remember a particular incidence, uh, almost every day of his life when he was about 18 months old, I had bought these two cute little, uh, tie shoestring tennis shoes from, uh, target and I had uh, you know every day I would go to put these shoes on at which point Nathan would start screaming yelling hitting rolling on the floor uh, just out of control and I thought oh my goodness what am I doing wrong what is you know mm-hmm. I would do anything to not have to put shoes on him mm-hmm. and then one day I accidentally providentially tied his shoestrings exactly the same uh, length on both sides and he looked up at me with such relief and said, thank you, mommy. Wow. And, um, and, he, and then I had never heard of OCD or didn't know it could be exhibited in a brain that early. But it's one of those things I tucked away. Oh, there are ways that he will calm down. But it was always this mysterious process, and even still is today some, of figuring out when I've done something that violates a pathway in his brain and when I haven't. Hmm. And then the second part of that is just realizing that everybody in the world who doesn't have children like this is going to think and say to you, you aren't disciplining him enough. Yeah. And with Nathan, I realized that he needed my sympathy, compassion, and understanding. And when I continued to grow in my perception of what was going on in his brain, I could help him move forward in character development and, and discipline and, and expectations. So it, it is a journey, but it's from a mom making observations and learning to say, God, help me to figure what's going on out. It was so big for me, Sally, in my parenting journey with one of my children who, like you said, Nathan, does get in trouble the most, asked me that. Why at school does a teacher, you know, I get in trouble more and, and is different you shared a story in one of your books, Sally, about uh, you'd had a really busy schedule, lots of people in and out of your home. You all took a walk after dinner and Nathan was having a hard time. And 
out of sympathy, you said, hey, how about you and I walk back together? And how it shifted his mood and drew you together and you had to choose to parent him on the inside out. And I had for my own son kept responding to his external behavior and not looked in to see where's his heart and where do I need to sympathize for things that you didn't even know that was any diagnosis or anything like that. You were just seeing from the inside he's hurting. Mm -hmm. How do I sympathize and meet that need and respond with the comfort he needs? Like you said earlier, being a responsive Mm -hmm. mom, not one who I just read this parenting book and it says, if he's grumpy, I need to discipline him and give him a timeout and consequence, consequence, because he needs to recognize it's my plan and my way or the highway. And he needs to get in line Mm -hmm. that you would see him, see his heart on the inside and respond was new thinking Mm -hmm. for me as a young mom. And I think there's that young mom. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I think there's that young mom right here listening, saying, I'm feeling pressure to parent this, my child this way, but my heart is telling me I need to parent this way. And she's in the Mm -hmm. middle of that struggle. Well, and I think that a lot of times we need to not assume the worst about our children. Mm. Like they're trying to get to us. They're trying to get at us. You know, I'm, I'm going to do this to thwart you, mom. Mm. But I think if we know that babies need love, they, they all have different personalities. They respond differently. And a lot of times they're only venue for rebelling or complaining when something doesn't feel right inside, whether it's a physiological issue or an emotional issue is to cry or to act out. And I remember one time when Nathan and I were talking, he said, Mom, when you spend time with me, it makes me want to obey you. And when you don't spend enough time with me, I'll do whatever I need to do to get attention. Well, just to jump in here, there's a there's a big part about being different um, that I, pe- I think people don't realize because I'm an extrovert, so people think I express everything I want to say. But there's a, a big part of being different is feeling separated, feeling other. Uh, than maybe your family or a class or just the rest of the world. So when someone, especially your mother, um, takes time to see you, it can change your whole outlook on life. Um, mm-hmm. And you can uh, uh, take that love and start um, using it in the way you act. And it makes you want to try harder to um, not act out, but uh, to respond um, to the love that is given to you. You feel like you have an advocate. Like you're not you're not alone. I have my mom yeah, and she sees me. I can do, I can do big things. I can choose right choices. That's a really good insight that you can Mm -hmm. feel pretty alone. I mean, I think that's like, even, even kids that maybe you don't have any diagnosis. It's an epidemic right now of feeling alone, I guess, with the internet and with phones, that that's like the number one feeling Mm -hmm. teens and preteens are saying they feel is alone. So that's just a really good idea as a parenting tip is to be with your kids and for your kids so that they feel that less. They feel that less. Well, and uh, what would you say, Nathan, about um, I feel like he said that our our home was a safe place where he mm-hmm. didn't have to worry about being judged or disciplined for just being himself wow. because being himself felt like too much at times. Well, to have an area, a space, a um, an environment in which you are allowed to uh, live into who you are without these uh, constraining lines that life will always continually draw for you. Uh, a place to run, a place to build forts, to express what's on your heart without judgment. Um, I think it's just a really healthy thing, and it and it won't just stop uh, with young kids, but it'll it'll extend into adolescence and teenagehood, and even to my twenties. I feel like I have a place 
with my family, with my mom, a safe place that I can express who I am, talk about my mistakes, talk about the things I struggle with um, in a place I can be completely myself. I think that's really valuable for a kid um, who is different. So, yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, I can look back now and I can see, oh, my goodness, Nathan is a movie producer. Who would take that on? Nathan acts. He writes books. He uh, reaches out to a lot of people that most people would never talk to. And when I see the bigness of his life now and that he is an artist and that he is a person who really goes into the world with high force, bringing light and goodness and beauty and friendship, I realize that maybe some of the things we've tried to force our children into uh, were just personality issues. Maybe God made some people to be bold prophets in a you know in the land or or bold speakers or and I feel like uh, our parenting philosophies haven't prepared us to raise children who are going to be very different, even as adults, in a good way. Yeah. Well, if you look at Jesus's life, he didn't treat any of the people he came across uh, in the same exact way. He had nuance to um, the experience he shared with them, and he treated them differently because they were different people. Um, he ob- obviously gave them the same love and understanding, but he knew that they were different, so he approached them differently in a way that he could connect to them and they could connect back. Huge. I love that example. And think of my one of my sons, I was getting feedback from a teacher. So this is the trick, right? We can have our, mm-hmm. our mothering style that's understanding and comforting. We can have that safe place, but there are going to be people that come into our lives that say the things that hurt or that uh, remind us that the child is different and isn't fitting in. And I was just feeling very beat down. Like, why can't he just control his body more? Why can't he just stop, be more socially aware? Why can't he this, that, and the other? And God whispered over me, I made him that way on purpose. I want him to be impulsive. I want him, when I say go, to go, to be a mighty warrior. That's exactly right. Absolutely. And so then I could see him differently. Instead of what happened was even my language over my son changed. Mm-hmm. So yeah. talk to that. How did you handle Sally as the mom and you're getting these external messages from peers telling you to parent differently or teachers telling you what, when did you take ownership and say, uh, uh-uh, I'm owning the fact that Nathan I, is different and I am parenting for him and not for yeah. you. I kind of think I did that with all my kids. I, they're, I, I'm very idealistic and probably <laughs> by the that. time our we kids, love that. uh, my oldest <laughs> was uh, my oldest was three or four. I started looking at them differently. And as you read my book or our book together, my part of it, you'll realize that I was the different child when I grew up. But I learned how to behave according to people's expectations because I didn't always want to have the conflict that these issues myself. And in uh, actually writing this book, I realized more and more that Nathan and I have a lot of the same issues. Mm. But uh, I think that. I learned at a very early age not to see my children as a diagnosis or as Mm. a personality type, but I would speak forward into their lives. Mm. Oh, you love stories. I wonder if you'll be the hero in your own story someday. Um, Oh, my goodness, uh, you are so kind to your sister. I wonder if you'll be a counselor who will bring comfort to people someday. So I gave them uh, visions and stories and specific things to live into that uh, they could then become and that they could uh, could grow into. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but yeah. I, I really, uh, instead of focusing 
on what they couldn't do. Like Nathan wasn't great at spelling or at uh, math, adding numbers, but he was extremely articulate. And so when he was 11 or 12, uh, he wrote this story. It was about 50 pages. Mm. And so instead of even looking at the spelling or grammar, I read the story and I was amazed at what was coming out of this very intelligent, very creative, very uh, uh, perceptive child. Mm. And if he had been in another situation, people would have so judged him by the tiny little rules that uh, they were measuring intelligence by. And I was judging him by the amazing capacity he had to develop messages. And so I told him how wonderful the story was and encouraged him to be a storyteller and a writer, even though the ability to do the grammar and the rules weren't a part of how God made him. Well, I mean, I today have the confidence to write a script or write a book um, because early on I wasn't judged by my inability um, uh, to not be able to spell, to have bad grammar. I mean, goodness gracious, I still struggle with those things. <laughs> and if I worried about those, I never would write a script or write a book. <laughs> so true. But the you saw was, the heart behind yeah. the the skin. So yeah. yeah. And you got spell check and editors. Who needs you know? Who needs <laughs> absolutely? <those> <laughs> it's, it's really sad when neither one of us can make the spell check. This <laughs> it doesn't even know what. Write. Yeah, it like can't even decipher what <laughs> yeah. word you're supposed to put in there. That's yeah. great. When we can't even get close enough for it to work. <laughs> yeah, spell check can't even guess. We need a phonetic spell check. Could you just create that? <laughs> so true. Mm-hmm. Uh, well. I love how we use this in our home and I didn't know that you used it until I got your little blurb about your book, but that you turn differences into superpowers. Can you explain that for everybody? Yeah. Uh, for me, I, that kind of originated out of, um, very early on, uh, my mom and dad would read me stories of heroes, mm. uh, and they were very clear to point out in each of these heroes lives they had specific places in their life that were really hard, that made them different. Uh, for one, it could be mental illness. For one, it could be growing up in a broken family. For the other, it could be um, uh, uh, money problems or a physical uh, ailment. But they were quick to point out that all of these people, in spite of these things, and even often because of them, um, took these things and became great heroes. Mm-hmm. And when I was um, uh, in my early teenage years, I began to watch a show about Superman, who's kind of my uh, my hero, and it was a story about his um, his youth and him coming to grips with his superpowers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the the young Superman didn't want these superpowers. They made him feel different. They made him feel ostracized. Uh, he couldn't just be normal. But these superpowers were the thing that ultimately um, were the things that brought him uh, the 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 name of Superman. They were the things that enabled him to uh, be a hero and be great. So I started taking all these stories uh, that my parents had uh, read to me and, and exposed me to and realizing that these differences and these hardships in my life aren't just things to ignore or to push down, but these things are going to be the conduits to um, me becoming who God made me to be. Uh, they're not things to live in spite of, but because of. Mm. So I think that was a uh, really um, healthy thing for me to live through my life continuously is – uh, is to realize that these uh, differences in my life actually are the things that God will use to tell the story he wants to with my life. It's awesome. And you didn't just read to him, Sally. You also focused a lot on nature and the home, and you just helped Nathan flourish. All your kids flourish. You've talked about that. Uh, how do you think, mm-hmm. you know, what did that look like for those who aren't familiar with 
some of your family going on. <laughs> like I said, y'all, you got to listen to the other podcast with Sally, and then you'll just be, you'll just know her way. But what were some of your traditions or ways that you did that for your home? Well, I think, uh, number one, you know, because I had four kids, I had to have rhythm. They, all of them responded better when I had rhythms in life. And we always ate breakfast in the morning and had devotions immediately afterwards. And I learned that I had to, you know, give them something to draw, play with, fiddle with sometimes as little kids to listen to the devotions. But I would act them out. I would do whatever. Then we, you know, we we, we had a five o'clock cleanup time. We had uh, certain times that they knew they would have to go to their rooms. And I, I would have baskets of books, baskets of uh, books on tapes, kind of resources everywhere, little things to build. And I, I trained into them because I needed it in the afternoons to have uh, a quiet hour. And uh, even to this day, they all read different introverts, extroverts, because we practice that habit. I would reward them greatly for listening to a book on tape and telling me about it or talking with me. Um, we had uh, pizza nights. We had we went walking every afternoon. It's just something that we do because I am that ADD person who has to get my adrenaline out. I was just actually thinking about that yesterday, how I have to go on a walk to calm myself down. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we tried to make the home environment, which is kind of about the life-giving home, a place where it was the best place to be, a place where there would be fun and engagement and entertainment and music and education and books and stories and people and feasts and uh, as Nathan once said to me, Mom, I'm so glad that our God isn't in the box. He's a God who loves chili peppers and puppy dogs and Celtic music and dancing. And, um, you know, we tried to make the reality of the incarnational God an enjoyment and a pleasure in the life of our home while also training forward into the ideals of righteousness and goodness. And you and I have talked about how sometimes in our mind as moms, we could think, okay, it's going to look exactly like this. We're going to have those devotionals. Everyone's going to sit <laughs> and be still and no one's going to fight when we're on yeah. our walk and it's all going to be just perfect. And, <laughs> and then you have, you know, the outside the box kids or the, you have friends with kids with obstinate defiant disorder or, or ADHD and there's right. behavior issues and the parents get completely frustrated with how it's going because they feel like instead of it being perfect, it gets disrupted by the child that's mm -hmm. different or, or has the sensory needs. And did you, how did you handle, did you have disruptions? Cause I know it wasn't perfect. <laughs> Even if we imagine no, in no our mind. No, one never did. <laughs> <laughs> no one disrupted. Well, it was perfect. There was singing all in harmony. Uh, <laughs> in harmony. Yeah. In harmony. Yeah. Well, no, I'm going to ask Nathan to speak to this in just okay. a minute, but I have been, I've giggled a lot because I wrote the book, the life giving home last year. And, uh, some people have made comments online who don't know us, and they've said, well, obviously Sally Clarkson's kids aren't like mine because they would never just sit at the dinner table mm -hmm. and and talk. And um, we had arguments almost every single night at the dinner table because Nathan likes to argue, and there's another person in our family. I like who, to discuss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's another person in our family, you know, some people take it seriously to be right. Um, right, right. And so I, I think that's why I say rhythms. I decided what I wanted to do. And then, you know, the training goes on within the rhythms. But Nathan, why don't you speak to that? Because I, I love the part in your book and I was actually a little bit surprised by it. Um, when you said for kids to not allow their diagnoses to be an excuse 
for becoming a victim in their own lives, but that we, through all the rhythms and all the difficulties and confrontations, helped you to grow in areas of character. Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's such a hard balance because it's uh, it kind of comes back to the classic grace and law um, theology debate. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you understand and give grace to this kid and give him freedom to live into who he is? But how do you also train him, uh, train him forward and help him uh, become better and someone who can be productive? Uh, so I don't know if I have an exact answer. I was trying to think the other day about the difference between guidelines and boundaries. I read mm-hmm. a great book called Boundaries a while ago, and it's changed my life. Um, but I was trying to think, I think, I think guidelines confine kids and confine people, uh, and boundaries protect and, um, push, uh, towards health. So I don't know exactly what that always looks like, but for me, it was approaching me with the knowledge, um, of who I was, what I was able to do, what I wasn't able to do and pushing me to the best, uh, the best I could be inside of those. Um, I think too, I would say that it is frustrating every day, every year along the way, because your children are immature and moving towards maturity. They're untrained, moving towards being trained. Mm-hmm. And so I think a part of uh, your life is you have to give up your expectations. You have to give up your expectation. Think a happy home looks like, what you think your children will do, what their personalities are, even yourself and your husband's. But I had these internal and very strong um, ideals that I was moving everybody in our family towards so that they could all grow from. And I think that one of the things I didn't know uh, as a mom was children are on the process by God's design to maturing Mm. because I'm amazed now at all the kids, all the things they say about how much they love this and that when they grew up. And I didn't even know they were paying attention. Right. I didn't even know if they were listening because it didn't look to me like they were taking it all in. But I would say that's when I would encourage moms not to give up on your ideals because they are shaping the very foundations of your children's values, even when your children are still immature and don't have the ability to say, thanks, mom, I needed that broccoli (laughs) type of thing. You always pushed us um, to the best we could be fully aware of the limitations we had. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's attention. God never asks us to be something we can't. He just asks us to take what we have, the two loaves, the fishes, and uh, he will do the rest, but to be the best we can with what we have. And I, I do think that uh, it's real important. You know, I had four kids, and one of these uh, people that Nathan was tested with when, she was, when he was 15 said, how did you make him sit still that long? He sat still, he has a high vocabulary, and he's one of the most – um, ODD, ADD, ADHD people I've ever met, but he's really a wonderful young man. And I looked at her kind of funny and I said, I had four kids. I needed him to learn slowly but surely how to fit in. I needed all my kids to learn how to become healthy members of our little pack. Yeah. And uh, so even when I couldn't see what was happening, people outside me would see that amazing things were transpiring in the hearts and souls of my kids. But we never compared them to each other, and we never expected them to be alike. Mm. Like we were talking about harmonies earlier, you never asked me to sing the same tune as Joel or Sarah, but you expected me to sing in harmony with them. Yeah. You held the ideal. 
that's that's what I'm hearing you say. You're saying you held the ideal that we could sing in harmony. If we're going to stick with that analogy. You held that ideal, mm-hmm. but you held loose the expectations of everyone fitting in the same box or it looking a certain way. Because where I get discouraged is I have the ideal and the expectation and I'm pushing both. And so when it yeah, is yeah. lower than my expectation, I say, well, forget it. None of you want to do this and I'm alone in this desire. And so I give up on the desire because it's not even worth it. If I'm just pushing it forward by myself, does that make sense? If I'm the only one who wants to sit and have conversations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I so love that you articulated it that way because I see women all the time, you know, you have to go back and say, why was I called to this ideal to begin with? Whether it's an educational choice, a training choice, a, character choice. Our family is going to be different. We are going to build unity if it kills me. Um, you know, but I I feel like a lot of women give up when they really are making progress Mm -hmm. and their kids really are listening. They just haven't gotten old enough to own it for themselves and to verbalize back to you how important it was to them. Mm -hmm. And I, I do feel like I see so many people giving up at the wrong moment. And there were a lot of ideals even that I would have that maybe Clay didn't have. And I would, uh, but but they were important to me. So I'd find ways to uh, to promote them over and over and over and over and over. And I think uh, train up your child in the way he should go uh, means as you're going, as he's as he's growing. And it says, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a whole lifetime of no, not this, this, mm-hmm. no, not this, this. And really, if you feel that. Uh, you know, I've heard so many women say, well, children just really need to be stimulated by all the machines and all of the Game Boys and all of the this and all of that. And nobody reads anymore. And I would think, no, no, Jesus was the word. The word was with God. We are message people. We are language driven people. Even if my children use other things in their lives, I'm going to make reading out loud to my children one of their favorite things and then I'm going to add some of the other things. In other words, you don't base your convictions on what culture has become or what culture is doing. You you base your convictions by spending time with the Lord, being an idealist, working it into a realistic part of life. But it's really natural for kids to push back. Yeah, It's I'm, normal for kids to push back every day, all the time. When I'm thinking of the child that's different or the mom that has the ideal and then the expectation that's going to go perfectly, and then she has the child that struggles to sit still or struggles to not interrupt or struggles to not hit his brother or sister. Um, But I'm also thinking, I don't know, I'm going to ask you, Nathan, if this is true. I have a theory that there is, especially when you have a bigger family, this wanting to belong, this knowing the feeling good of belonging, this going somewhere together that enforces a little, that that helps build a little self-control or build a little, um, impulse control in those situations because you want to be a part of the thing that's happening. Like the family's going this direction. And if the whole family stops to turn to the one that's different and keeping the train from going, then the train's not going to go at all. If the train keeps going a little by little and that one that wants to keep distracting or disrupting realizes, oh, they're just going to keep going whether I disrupt this or not, it might motivate them to join in. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a part of that is um, helping them learn how to join in 
uh, in their own unique way. Okay. That they have a chance and an opportunity to add to this, uh, to this song, let's say, you know, uh, mom used to use the, um, analogy of a symphony mm-hmm. and that you would never expect, um, Joel to be a violin if he was a tuba or Sarah to be a flute if she was a harp. Um, so we all have a different instrument to play in this song we're trying to accomplish and trying to make. Um, and you and your own unique instrument will add to it. Um, so it's kind of an empowerment to say that you and your own unique uh, makeup can add to this experience, can add to this group. Um, but you have to play along, play inside the lines that we are, uh, play to the song that we are all trying to um, trying to play. And, you know, reading the whole idea of boundaries helped me too because – I raise my kids saying, you have a choice to make. You know, today we are going, we're all going to do this. And if you uh, choose to uh, learn how to get along or whatever it is, you know, or, or, you know, to, if you change your attitude, then you'll get to do it with us. If you choose. You can be a part of it. Yeah. You'll get to be a part of what we're doing. But if you choose to be disruptive, you can sit in the car. And sometimes I would have to sit with them <laughs> and because the others are going to all go out and have a lot, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's your choice. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that giving my children, all my children, a sense of, uh, you know, that they choice. could grow, they could, they, that they needed to own how they affected others, even if it didn't come naturally to them. And That's offering really us a clear choice always happened too. You can choose to be a part of this or you can choose not to. That's, you know, you have the power of free will. But if you choose to be a part of it, you're going to have mm-hmm. fun. You're going to be involved. You're going to be a part of this memory in a way that no one else could. But I didn't always allow my child who was different to um, to interrupt everything. Yeah, I would, disrupt her. If it required that I had to stay with them, I would. But the other thing I want to say uh, is that moms who have children who have these big issues, we haven't talked much about mental illness on here. Mm. And that was a huge part of, Clay, of Nathan's problem was the OCD. I didn't understand it. I didn't know why he would fall apart at certain things. And I think that moms need a break. And so I was very grateful that Nathan, uh, that there were some places where he could go once in a while and play and have fun and, or people would invite him to stay with him for a week while I was in another, you know, it, it, some people we moved away from always invited him over to stay for a week here or there. And he probably didn't even know how much I needed a break. But uh, I built places into my schedule where I could have an adult time all by myself. People say, did you just live on tea? And I said, yes, I did. <laughs> but um, because <laughs> I would just have my one-woman tea time where I would go to my little French restaurant on a Saturday morning by myself because it's okay to say, I need a break. I need some time where I, I know that nothing is going to interfere with me having peace in my moment, in my time, in my environment. So I do think that in order to keep going with difficult or different or mysterious children, uh, we need to have breaks, we need to have times of peace, and we need to have times to educate ourselves to understand the issues better. That's huge, because the mom could hear what we've said so far, you need to be this safe place, you need to create this, you, 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 and there's a lot of burden there. If they don't take the break mm-hmm. or seek outside support or help, they're going to implode, explode. It's not going to go well for anyone in the family. Yeah. Love Nathan for what he was and take him away from me so he could go play and have fun or fish or whatever. Yeah. You know. And we didn't have a lot of people like that. And I would monitor myself and, and feel like, okay, I'm about to blow. And uh, and then I would realize, you know, take them all out to wherever, Clay. I don't care where. Take them. 
so that I can uh, refuel and and get back on top of what is going on in my heart and why am I angry? Even Jesus took time away to yeah recharge. And hey, he, he said, he "I'm going to take ideas. you all away." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got some good ideas. He's got I guess. some good ideas. So Nathan, I want to hear your side of things um, as your mom was becoming more aware and adjusting and trying to create a home environment, uh, foster y'all's individuality and uniqueness. From your side of things, um, recognizing you were different uh, at a certain point, maybe the junior high years, the high school years. What helped you cope? What if you? could talk to a younger version of yourself or um, a mom who has a junior high boy going through this or girl, what helped you? I think the, um, the understanding that I was different. Uh, I remember getting home after going to class or something and just being angsty and full of, um, of energy and uh, tension from the day. And I would listen to hard rock music and I can guarantee you my mom did not get it. She didn't understand it. It wasn't her kind of music. But she understood that I was different and that I was someone unique and that helped me. So I was allowed to be myself. Um, so those kind of things are really helpful for coping. I think there's healthy outlets for all this energy and tension that um, a different child can feel. Um, in the book, I go over some of this. But I remember um, my parents got me a drum set. And uh, they're saints because of it. But I, I would play those drums for hours a day until my hands would bleed. Um, just because I needed to focus my energy and my uh, my angst on something. And um, while I'm sure it was loud and frustrating to them, they understood that something I needed to do. Uh, and they allowed me to be myself and get and uh, provided me the opportunities to, um, to exercise some of that frustration in healthy ways and healthy coping ways. Were these ideas you came up with? I mean, I know the music was, but did they think, hey, we should get you a drum set? Or did you ask and they... They went for it. They they were always great about anything that we kind of had in our heart that was a healthy thing. Um, they would jump in and say, all right, let's do it. So I remember I, a couple of my friends played drums, and I picked it up really easily, and it was something that came natural, and they could see that. So I said, I want a drum set. They're like, okay, well, let's get one. So they were supportive of the ways that came natural to me to cope um, uh, for who I was. So, yeah, they were absolutely supportive of, uh, of the ideas I brought to them. It sounds like we were perfect parents. We were not, uh, it, like, uh, you know, as Nathan um, talks about it, it was a process of learning. But like, when he was a little boy, if I wanted all the kids to be able to sit down and read, I would send Nathan outside and say, okay, we're going to finish the breakfast dishes. Let's see if you can beat your time from yesterday running around the house. And he would say, okay. And so if I could exhaust him, then he would be able to sit longer and listen to me read or you give me coloring books and paper to draw on and draw the story that you listen to you provided ways for me to work inside the boundaries that you needed to teach yeah he was always moving fidgeting uh hitting walking on the rails instead of you know on the sidewalk and so when he grew into a teenager uh you know i realized i was getting all of these very legalistic things of what i shouldn't let my child do because you know heavens it might be evil and um I realized that a part of the music that was really loud and it, it kind of helped him feel like it was matching the anxiety he felt mm-hmm. inside. And what I learned is that teenagers with their uh, hormones and their raging uh, feelings inside, you, you have to treat a teenager differently than you treat an elementary school child mm-hmm. because sometimes 
some of the things that he needed to do physically were literally going to keep him safe. In other words, if he could get out some of his anxiety by running, hitting the, the drums, um, listening to loud music, um, that helped him to calm down. And, and other people would, if they had been in our house, they would have gone, oh, that's not quite righteous. You know, the people in good <laughs> like little how you churches went to a don't accent. do all these good little things. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it was more of a praying psychology and realizing, you know, if I can just wear him out, even if with incredible things that no other people of teenagers were trusting their kids with. And he got a few speeding tickets because he, you know, he's this ADHD kid. And I'll just go down with him with the judge and say, okay, let's see if we can get this ticket taken care of. What I mean is there was a part of him that I knew even as a teenager, okay, he needs to know that he is not going to be condemned for being who he is as a teenager, but we're going to help guide him towards healthy choices. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did you say anything to add to that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Before we have to go, two things. One, I hear there's a scripture that really changed the way you parented um, and helps love and treat them as people. What is that scripture? You know, actually, there are several scriptures, but one of the ones that really influenced my relationship with him is it is um, the kindness and mercy of God that leads to repentance. Mm. And uh, do you not know it is the kindness and mercy of God? And I realized that uh, more and more rules just made Nathan feel frustrated because he he couldn't even help not being able to abide by all the expectations culture placed on him. He His mind thought differently. His body thought differently. Um, and so I, I realized that he needed me to be kind and he needed me to be merciful and not judge him. And so that helped shape a more sympathetic approach to our parenting while also pursuing a journey in the direction of ideals. So uh, for both of y'all, there's a mom sitting there listening. She's already either she has the baby that won't stop crying and she's at the playgroups and realizing the baby's different or it's a toddler or maybe she's just gotten a diagnosis of an elementary school kid. Where should she start she recognizes this child is not going to fit into the mold and is going to be different. And she's feeling isolated and alone. So how would you help her? I would, I would first say that I think that uh, mysterious children out of the box children have become big business and Mm. everyone has a solution for you. Mm. And I would say, don't go down the pathway of very rule oriented solutions Give your child time, give them time to mature, give, uh, just be patient, observe, read as much as you can about some of their issues. But I feel like uh, you could be going after a a diagnosis or a definition every day of the week, and it may not apply to your child. Mm. And so I would say, be patient, be slow, uh, study and trust God. But uh, then as you begin gathering symptoms that fit into something that is reasonable, then find uh, a a person who has a healthy approach to understanding children. I would say a more natural approach that also includes loving, training, and uh, shaping the soul. Because I think that there are a lot of things that people try to give as magic bullets Mm -hmm. or people would say, take them off of sugar 
or he shouldn't eat cinnamon or you're not disciplining him enough or you're disciplining him too much. Or, uh, I would say don't get caught up in all of the peer pressure of other people, but just live by faith, walk with God, pray, study your child and allow God to show you over a period of time of who your child is. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's, I really like that. Time is again, it's not a formula, but I think what it is, is in this day and age, we want a checklist, uh, do it fast, get it done. What do I need to do? I need to do, I need to do. And it, like Nathan, you had said, your parents made you realize where your limits are. And as moms, having a child that's different that we can't control makes us very aware of our limits. And absolutely. And that's where we rely on God. And that's where we lean on him and say, okay, this is a situation. There's no <laughs> spelling out exactly what I should do when he's flipping out about the shoes and you just relied on God. And he, you know, I think God gives us what we need for that child. If we lean in on him, that's the Christian answer. But I, I, it, you're saying Sally is you can't turn to all of the experts or all of the other things because God didn't make and a that, mistake. matching well, you up. One of the whole points of having or being a different kid is that, is a realization that God has created each of us unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and that while there's a million formulas that the world will try to tell you, this is how you do it. Yeah. Um, if you look through the gospel, what you're going to find is um, God asking you to trust him through every turn, through every unique turn and twist of life. Mm-hmm. And to know that your child is different uh, is scary because there's a lot of unknowns to that. Um, but you do have God to lead you through that. Uh, and it's not a formula that will fix it. It's a step-by-step walk with God every day. That's what I would say. And the one thing I would end with, and we read a lot about this in the book, but is uh, because we live in a fallen world, uh, a lot of these very difficult issues are going to be with our children their whole lives. Uh, Nathan and I still run into things that I I have no idea uh, what particular thing is going to be an issue to him in his mind. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I violate those things and I didn't mean to. Mm -hmm. And that's probably never going to go away. Uh, some of uh, some of our children's disabilities, some of our disabilities, uh, we might be able to grow stronger, but we're they're not going to go away. And I think that I wish I'd known that as a much younger mom, that uh, this is the day the Lord has made, so to speak. This is the child the Lord has given. I need to surrender my expectations and be willing to live with this my whole life. It will be better in heaven, but uh, I, it, you know, I've been given this part of the puzzle to learn how to deal with by faith. And this is a place where I worship God. I say, God, I don't understand it. I can't do it all, but I'm going to try my hardest to worship you in this place by doing what I know to do. Sounds pretty God centered. That'll do. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do. Y'all are awesome. Where can they find you online and this book? Well, hopefully at most bookstores they would go to are going to carry different. We have found out. But uh, they can also go find us, me at sallyclarkson.com. And me at nathanclarkson.me. Yeah, me. All right. I love it. I love what y'all are doing. This is such a needed resource for moms. I appreciate you, Nathan, sharing your story. and Absolutely. It's, just, it's such an encouragement. I don't. I know that you kind of maybe know, but maybe not all the way. Young moms out there with their their day has been hard today with their two-year-old mm. boy. And mm-hmm. they cannot even imagine a day where he would as eloquently 
talk about the Gospels you just did. So it gives them hope and perspective. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. Uh, Praying for y'all in these next few months as you launch this book, and thankful to talk with you today. Thank you, Heather. It's great to be with you again. All right. Y'all have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Pretty great stuff. I don't know what kind of kids God gave you and what you're having to come to grips with in your life as a mom. But I thought I'd share a lesson that God has taught me in the last month. Um, The day that I finally had to come face to face with the realization that my dad would be moving to hospice and his life would be ending soon. I was rushing around the house trying to pick things up before I went to go to the hospital. And my oldest son came up to me and (laughs) randomly said, hey, mom. I think we need to say the Lord's Prayer together. And I was like, what is going on? I was not in the mood for that, but um, I just held him and he said the words. And he's, oh, he first he framed it up and he said, let's say the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And so he started saying it. And near the end, sweet boy started tearing up and crying a little bit. And then he kind of pulled away and he said, Mom, this is the part I want you to focus on. Thy will be done. Oh my goodness, did he undo me. But that phrase stuck with me that next week. It it framed up what was happening because prior to that, I had been working really hard to orchestrate and try to get input from different doctor friends of mine and try to make sure, you know, I did my best to keep this from happening, to keep my will in line. And I don't know if that's how you feel with your kids. You've got an outcome that you want for them as adults, and you are working so hard for that to happen. And there's so much freedom on the other side of that phrase, thy will be done. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything. It doesn't mean like, like Sally said, that we let go of our ideals, but the outcomes and the expectations, that's where we can say, not my way, but yours, not my kingdom, but yours. Anyway, I hope that's an encouragement to you. I know this is a longer episode, so I'm going to sign off. But thank you all so much for all your prayers. I have felt them. I have felt a peace that does not make earthly sense. And uh, I just came away from a weekend with good girlfriends that was very uh, much needed. It's been planned. It's an annual thing. So it just fell right at a time God knew I'd need it. There's so much grace in even this trial. And I know that those of you who have gone through trials and tragedies know what I'm saying when there's grace in it. It's hard to explain, but God has been very faithful in the details. And uh, I'm, uh, you know what? He is, he's doing a work in me and he is showing me a depth of relationship with him that I would not know otherwise. So I know you may have heard people in tragedy say that, but it's true. It's true. All right. I hope you all have a fabulous day. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.